guys, welcome to our virtual worship gathering at the Neighborhood Church. Tonight, we're so excited to light the fourth Advent candle. We'll be led in worship by Kelly. Adam will bring a message, we'll sing some more, and then we'll receive our benediction. But first, I want to talk to you all about how big today was at The Rock. We had our neighborhood clothes closet, and we also had a Christmas party for all the kiddos in the community. So a huge shout out to everyone that came today to help out and also to Emily and Jocelyn and Ricardo on staff at The Rock and Freeman Heights for helping provide presents and several other people who came in at the ninth hour to 11th hour. Not ninth hour, why did I say that? But that was strong. Okay. Quick staff, Freeman yeah. Heights with all the presents, other churches Got volunteered. Got it. Boom, push boom, one. boom, push boom, one. boom. Push one. Ready? Mm-hmm. Hey guys, welcome to the virtual worship gathering at the Neighborhood Church. We're so excited tonight to light the fourth Advent candle, and we will be led in worship by Kelly. Well, that was a week from the very beginning. Okay. <clears throat> Ready? Mm-hmm. Hey guys, welcome to our virtual worship gathering at the Neighborhood Church. We're so excited tonight to light the fourth Advent candle. Kelly is going to lead us in some worship. Adam will bring us a message. We'll sing some more and then we'll receive our benediction. But first, I want to talk to you all about the huge day we had at The Rock today. We had our neighborhood clothes closet and we also had The Rock Christmas party today. And so I want to give a huge shout out to everyone that came and helped serve. But I also want to thank Emily Hernandez, Jocelyn and Ricardo on staff at The Rock. I want to thank Freeman Heights for helping provide presents and so many other people that came in at the 11th hour to provide and help serve for this to be a hit. Well, if you remember, we've been asking you all for coats for to give out in the community for our neighborhood clothes closet, and you guys provided in such a big way. Y'all gave abundantly. You gave it of old coats that you had in your closet. You gave money to purchase other coats, and it was beautiful. So one quick story to go along with that, our, our neighborhood group gathered some um, donations um, that they gave to me to go shopping with to buy extra coats for our clothes closet. Now, I wanted to tell you guys this story because I thought I was crazy. Whenever I was going in and shopping, I grabbed the thickest, best coats they had and I threw it all in the cart. I did no math because I hate math. And I just started piling them on and I walk up to the counter. I have a $100 budget. She rings up the last coat and would you know I spent $105 with a stack that I did no math in. And I thought, wow, this is a huge blessing and God is in this. Okay, hold on to that story. Because we also had our Christmas party today and we were able to give away over 400 presents to kids in the community, which is huge. I think it's the biggest Christmas party that we have seen as a neighborhood church. And we were able to do that, um, but I'll tell you, that in the middle of the week this week, <laughs> we got word that because of how many people were signed up, we realized we don't have enough presents. <laughs> so in a few conversations, we were able to quickly gather enough donations to go shopping again, just like we did with the coats. But this time, I had an even bigger budget. <laughs> 
And so similar to my thrift store shopping, I start throwing presents into the shopping cart and I'm super excited. I'm getting a lot of weird looks because I'm the crazy lady that is just throwing random things, keeping everything organized, counting it 18 times. And yeah, I just drew a lot of attention. So I walk up to the cashier. We had a great conversation the whole time. She was super invested in why I was buying this many presents because I had over 65 in my cart, y'all. And she asked me, she said, well, who were all these for? And I said, they're for uh, some kiddos at a community center that we help serve at. And she said, well, are you purchasing all this? And I said, no, actually, I'm so excited that we've been given this money and donations and from people that just w wanted to give and gave generously. And she was so excited. And at this point, she had drawn in more attention. So everyone in line was watching. The other cashier was watching. And she starts ringing up. She goes, well, how much is in your budget? And I said, I have $400 to spend. She said, I don't think you're spending $400 today. And I said, hold on, hold on, because I was a little bit confident with those coats. So she starts ringing everything up, and last minute I realized, oh no, I got those remote control cars. You can't give remote control cars without batteries. So I reach over, grab batteries next to the cash register, throw them in. She rings up the very last one, and guys, I'm not kidding. I spent $401.56, and I think the moment she <laughs> announced it so loud in the store, Everyone in line, the other cashier, everybody was cheering, everybody was happy, and she announced that somebody in that line better give me $1.56 so I didn't go over a budget, but I told her I could sling it, that's not too bad. So swipe my card, get all those presents home, wrap them all up, and they are ready for the party. That is huge to me. I left beaming, my heart was just so big, because I thought, man, in a moment whenever I could have easily melted down because we had this problem, we had kids that were anxious and wanting gifts and we wouldn't be able to provide them on Wednesday, come Saturday, God's people, the hands and feet of Jesus provided in a huge way and we're so grateful for you. Now, if you're hearing this story and you say, oh my gosh, where was that flyer? Did I miss something? Why didn't I know about the Christmas gifts? We did not do a mass church-wide announcement about these Christmas gifts. And we did that for a reason because we know that y'all would have given abundantly, but you've given abundantly in so many ways. But if you're hearing this and you say, but I want to give gifts to kids, there's a fantastic opportunity that I wanted to tell you about. Emily Hernandez is starting a new ministry at The Rock called Duo. We've talked about it before, but this next year is when she's going to launch her ministry. And a piece of that ministry is going to be to provide these same kids with birthday gifts all year. When they have a birthday, she wants to surprise the family with a birthday gift and little items to help them have a birthday party, to help them feel special. And she's going to announce all of this and, and give the community word that she has things to, to be reached out to. So if you're hearing this and you say, I want to provide a present, it's a great opportunity for you to reach out to Emily, for you to check out in the future for information on Duo, and you can check it out at The Rock. Now, I want to share a few quick reminders about this week. 
we have Posada, which is the Mexican tradition of going from house to house, similar to how Mary and Joseph did, but we're doing it TNC style. It's this Wednesday, and we have posted information in the Facebook group. So check it out there. Now, also with that, the next day we will have a short and special Christmas Eve video, and we hope that you will join us. We love you, and Merry Christmas. Hey everybody, will you join me in Luke chapter 14? That's in the New Testament. And while you're turning there, let me remind you that we are beginning the fourth and final week of Advent, leading right up to Christmas Eve. And this week in our devotional reading, our Bible reading, the theme is a time of celebration. That's what I want to look at in Luke chapter 14. In particular, we're going to look at a teaching of Jesus and a story that Jesus tells. And we're going to ask three questions. We're going to ask when, we're going to ask why, and we're going to ask who. Stick with me and you'll find out what it is I'm talking about. But let's dive right into it. The teaching of Jesus, the story that Jesus tells, I think we have got some dramatic, powerful invitations for you and me this Christmas season. Let's dive in. Luke chapter 14, we're going to begin in verse 12. You will be reading this this week if you're following along with our Advent reading, A Time for Celebration. Verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, he's at a dinner party, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors, because if you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Verse 16, Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, "Uh, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant said back, came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered a servant, Well, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. That sounds familiar. Verse 22. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. And I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. We're going to ask and answer three questions. When was Jesus saying this? Why does all of that matter? And the third question we're going to look at is, who might we be talking about? But, Before we get back into Jesus' teaching and story, let me tell you a story I came across on Twitter a few weeks ago. 
Somebody liked a tweet or retweeted it, and it was from an account that posts old historical newspaper columns and stories from Seattle, Washington. And she said, on Christmas Day in 1904, two reporters from the Seattle Star dressed as, quote, hobos, they said in 1904, and went to the homes of the city's richest families. But check this out. The next day, they published in the paper each family's name and how they were treated. Can you believe that? Imagine two journalists dressed up, they tried to disguise themselves, and they knocked on the doors of the richest families. But to take it a next step further, some 1904 version of gotcha journalism, they printed their actual names and said, here's how we were received. This is what ran December 26th, 1904 in the Seattle Star. They wrote people's actual names and said, Big Square Meal Handed Outside. Another name, Kurt Refusal. Another name, Door Slammed in Face. Another name, Four Nickels. Can you just, just pause and imagine? Went to Mark Cuban, got this. Went to Jerry Jones, got that. I mean, this is wild. It keeps going. Another name. Hot tea and bread and butter. Another guy, roast, coffee, and cross-examination. I like that. Like, let me give you a little something, but man, what's the deal with you? J.B. McDougal, another name. Stern rebuke and orders to get. <laughs> another name, no reply. They just ghosted him, right? The last thing they printed, they came upon what they said as poor folk. Good, wholesome food and lodging. I thought that that was such a wild story. A 1904 version of some gotcha journalism or some crazy reality show. But I think it's revealing. It's revealing of the gap between the haves and the have-nots. And when Jesus walked this earth 2,000 years ago, he was turning that division on its ear and closing the gap. And what Jesus said and modeled and called us to then is still a dramatic challenge for us today. What Jesus has challenged us to do is this. Follow in his steps as a host. Unlike those Seattle elites in 1904, and unlike his host at that dinner party in Luke chapter 14. You see, Jesus calls us to host his kind of dinner parties. Not because we get something in return, like another invitation to another meal, or we get to climb the upper echelon of the social elite. No, not because we get something in return, but because we've been sent into the streets with an invitation to God's table. Now, how in the world do we do this in 2020, 2021, in the middle of a pandemic? How are we going to be hosting some of Jesus's dinner parties today, following in his footsteps? Well, let's ask and answer these questions. And by the end of this message, oh, would you join me in trying to open up and be led by the Spirit 
so that we might receive a fresh inspiration with a fresh new year to learn how to do just that in spite of the obstacles that we have within our own hearts and within our own communities. Would we learn to take Jesus' teaching and story into ourselves so that we might follow in his footsteps and host his kind of dinner parties? Now, let's get into our questions. Now, the first one is, when was Jesus saying all this? The when matters. If you're reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a vital question is, when is this happening? Because the writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are arranging their stories in such a way to get you to really pay attention, because when matters. At the beginning of Luke chapter 14, we're told that Jesus was invited to a Sabbath dinner, and he was invited to this dinner at a Pharisee's house. Now, if you've been around and read the Bible, especially in the Gospels, you've heard the term Pharisee. Pharisee was a religious and political influencer, a pressure group, an ancient moral majority. You know what I'm saying? They were these elite, respected leaders that were somewhere in between a religious and social influencer. And Jesus got crossways with these guys a little bit, but he was respected enough to where some of them wanted to kind of keep a close eye on him. Which is the second thing we're told at the beginning of Luke chapter 14, when matters. During this dinner, they were keeping a close eye on him. You can see that if you're looking at your Bible at this moment. They were carefully watching Jesus because of what he said, what he did. Because in Luke chapter 14, he heals a guy on the Sabbath, which was really ruffling their feathers but also because of who he ate with. Eating with someone in those days meant you were kind of in league with them, having some kind of connection with them. And not only who you ate with, but where you sat when you ate with them said something about your social standing and relationship. So now we're starting to see when Jesus says, don't just invite your friends and the rich and the family who can repay you or do something for your social status. He says, invite the people that can't do anything about it. Jesus didn't only teach this, he lived it. Which is why in Luke's gospel, you see him continually showing up at dinner parties with a who's who of who's not invited for dinner. You with me? I'm, I'm a little proud of that who's who of who's not. But Jesus was indiscriminate with his dinner parties, and his teaching challenges us to follow in his steps. I love what scholar Amy Jill Levine says in her book, Short Stories by Jesus. She says, What is infectiously appealing about Jesus is that he likes to celebrate. He is consistently meeting people not at the altar, but at table, whether as host, guest, or the body and blood to be consumed. You cannot miss the fact that Jesus loved dinner parties, hosted dinner parties, and was invited to dinner parties. Why? Because Jesus was fun. You don't invite somebody you didn't want to spend time with. Jesus liked to celebrate. And there was something about his person that 
put sinners, tax collectors, the who's who of who's not invited at ease to kick it with him. This is remarkable. Don't miss this. I love the book title of a 90s book by Tony Campolo that says, The Kingdom of God is a Party. Where Jesus went, people partied. Where Jesus went, there was reason to celebrate. Because these people were gaining access to the very presence and power of God's kingdom. And they're seeing that the kingdom of God is a party. Let's take a step back. Let's talk about you and me in real time this week, 2020. Please promise me that this week, this Christmas, you will take time to celebrate. Don't miss it for all the things you got to finish doing, wrapping, buying, cooking. Don't miss it in the anxiety of who you're seeing and who you're not. Don't miss it in the sadness that matters because you won't get to see this or do that. That matters. But in all of that, please don't miss an opportunity to celebrate the one who loves to celebrate you. What we've seen in these kinds of parables and in Jesus' dinner parties is that when people gather around Jesus, the who's who of who's not, sinners, lame, tax collectors, when they gather, that is a reason to party. Even when it's different, even when it's hard, even when it's unexpected, don't miss an opportunity to celebrate in all the differences and all the inconsistencies of how this year looks compared to others and in all the hustle and bustle would you please create space to breathe and celebrate it is Jesus's birthday after all let him celebrate and celebrate with him this week don't miss the party because you're looking at the wrong things carefully watching for all the ways it isn't look for what is find reasons to celebrate that's the when. The when matters. Jesus is saying these things about who we should be inviting, who we should be going to in the actual context of a dinner with some people that had a real issue with what Jesus was living and teaching. So, leads us to our next question. Why would Jesus go out on a limb and say these dramatic things? So, if you're like me, you're hearing Jesus' teaching at the beginning of our reading this evening, and you're saying, wait, don't invite friends and family and relatives? Well, dude, like, are you serious? That's crazy. And as crazy as that sounds to you today, it was even crazier for them back then, especially when multi-generational families were under one roof. Now, is Jesus saying, don't ever go to your mom's house for dinner? Of course not. What Jesus is saying, what Jesus is turning inside out is this expectation to release yourself from this reciprocity, what can you do for me? I'll go here so that they can feel good that I'm a good son or neighbor. I'm going to do this so that they'll pay me back. It starts with a motive check a heart check. 
Is this self-serving because it makes me feel good, makes them feel good? Or is this other-centered? In Jesus' day, who you invited to the table mattered. Where you sat at the table mattered. Jesus says, enough of all this. Check your heart. Check your motive. Are you here and present for these people? And by the way, this is a huge reason as to why Jesus says this. Nothing inherently wrong about eating with your family, but there is something wrong with only eating with your family or those like you. Why? Because if you only spend time with people like you, who invites the poor and the downtrodden and the forgotten? If we only stayed in our little inner circles, what happens to those on the outer margins? You see, you cannot love your neighbor if you ignore them. Why Jesus says this is because if Christians actually lived what Jesus taught, we would close the gap between the rich and the poor, the haves and the have-nots. We would collapse the circles of the inner, acceptable, I like these people and they're like me, versus the outer circle, the people that think differently, look differently, come from a different place and background. You see, if we were to actually do what Jesus said and invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, into our space, into our presence, not to ignore them, but to be present to them, we might actually be changed and transformed and our world would look a lot differently. What would happen if we really lived what Jesus taught? What would it look like if you allowed the Spirit to expand your inner circle to include God's inner circle? You know, the people that God is always telling us to pay attention to, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. You know, that list that Jesus mentions not once but twice in the passage we've read this evening. What would happen if we loved our neighbor and we didn't ignore them? Here's one example in 1991 of how an architect opened up his eyes and expanded his circle. His name was Samuel Mockby. He since passed, but in 1991 he was driving through the South in rural Alabama and Mississippi where he was from and had spent a lot of time. It was his people and his place. But of course, as an architect, he had spent a lot of time in the elite space. Because unlike other art forms, music, poetry, architecture is an art form that really does show the difference between the haves and the have-nots. I mean, let's be honest. You don't see architectural masterpieces in rural Alabama and Mississippi in the poorest of the poor counties of the United States, do you? Well, this is exactly what got Samuel Mockby's attention. He was driving through and looking at these hovels and shacks and trailer parks in the poorest county of Alabama. And he was thinking about the projects that he had done and his colleagues had been doing. And he thought about how every house he drove past held a family that could not afford his work. So, after some time and a partnership with Auburn University, he decided to get some students and some grant money together to provide the same kind of beautiful architecture, not just for the elites, 
but for those who could never pay it back. Matter of fact, when he started this program now known as Rural Studio, here's a book here, Rural Studio, Samuel Mockby and an Architecture of Decency, he would send his students out door to door to knock on the doors and say, would you be interested in a brand new house? And the kinds of homes, you can see some pictures here in a Rural Studios website. The kinds of houses he developed were not only beautiful and elevated, they were functional. They were meant to be lived in, eaten in, shared space with all different kinds of people that wouldn't have experienced it were it not for someone knocking on the door and inviting them to close that gap between what they thought they could never attain, now at their doorstep, ready to be lived in, moved in. What would it look like if we lived what Jesus taught? How could your imagination be stirred to take Jesus' teaching to heart, to expand your circle, to invite God's inner circle. You know, at the Neighborhood Church, we say all the time that God has rezoned our neighborhood. Now everyone we encounter is a neighbor to be loved. When we see this person and that person, would we see them through the eyes of the kingdom and invite them to the family table? What would our church look like if we committed to be one inclusive circle instead of one that's in and one that's out based on what they can do for me, how they can meet my needs. What if we were to shift it, turn it on its ear like Jesus is calling us to, and to not be self-serving, but to be other-centered, to follow in Jesus' footsteps and live what he taught. Remember, when is he saying this? In an actual dinner with some elite people judging him, watching him closely. Why does he say this? Because it will actually form you. You'll be blessed. You'll find yourself in tune with God's kingdom. You'll help others. And you might actually close the gap to make it look a little bit more like God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Which is interesting because the verse in between Jesus' teaching and the story Jesus tells is that guy that says, you know what? You're right, Jesus. Blessed are those who feast at the kingdom that God prepares. That is an allusion to a beautiful poem in Isaiah 25. Write that down, circle it, flip to it. Isaiah 25, we see that this is God's dream all along. These are the kinds of people that God is inviting to the table all along. Jesus is just reminding them of what they were always supposed to do. But just to drive the point home, he gives us that um, story, that well-known story of a banquet. And that story answers the question, our third and final question, who? Who are we called to invite in? The who matters. So Jesus tells this story of this uh, master of a house that's prepared a great feast. And of course, he didn't just order in catering. He had to slaughter the goats in Jesus's story that he's telling. And there's some involved things going on. And of course, this would have resonated with the Pharisees that were hosting a very similar dinner. They want people to come. They want people to experience this party. 
because the kingdom of God is a party. So they send the servants out. It's time. The table is set. They go to this person and that person and the other. And what are we, are, what are we met with? Excuses. The kind of excuses that are a little weak, right? I got to wash my hair that night. Sorry, forgot to put it in my calendar. Sorry, didn't see that event reminder. <laughs> You've done it. We've done it. Let's be honest. But in Jesus's story that he tells, there's something subtle about those excuses. Did you notice that it's about buying land, buying five oxen, or celebrating a wedding? These are the haves, the elite kind of excuses. These are the people that can get so easily distracted with all the things that help them ignore the main things, that help them ignore God's inner circle. There's a subtle note here, and I believe that Jesus is winking and scanning the room, looking intently at those that are closely watching him. And he's wondering if this parable will reveal and inspire and challenge these original hearers. Which is why we've got to look at these different levels of meaning. Every parable invites several different meanings. I mean, the word parable means to throw two things down side by side and to see how they bounce off of one another. So on one level, Jesus' story about those who refuse the invitation. So then the master says, well, then go here, there, 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 and get those unexpected people is a meaning that Jesus was actually living in that precise moment. I mean, here's Jesus going around Galilee, inviting God's people to come to the party. The table set, God's king is here, repent, get in tune with heaven on earth, and yet, excuse after excuse after excuse, watching him closely and judging him and opposing him instead of partying and celebrating with him. So Jesus invites sinners, tax collectors, lame, blind, crippled. This is a level of meaning happening right in their midst. Now, there's a second level of meaning. Meaning, when Luke is writing this down, and even Acts after that, we're looking back at these stories and saying, whoa, 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 I was one of those invited to the party. Matter of fact, we're kind of doing that thing that Jesus did by going to Samaria and inviting an Ethiopian eunuch and inviting Cornelius, a centurion, and all these different people, a magician, all these unexpected people. Wait, 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 wait. We're doing what Jesus did. We're trying to host these dinner parties like Jesus did. There's another layer of meaning. As Luke is recording this story, the people are hearing it a generation later saying, are we following in Jesus's footsteps? Which leads us to a third level of meaning. What about you and I? Are we to dare to believe that we might be people sent because there's yet room at the table even now? Because you remember the servants kept going. First they went to the streets and the alleys and they brought all those people back. But then the master said, 
I still got food to serve. I still got room. I need more. So they went even further, even further. Could it be that he's inviting us to live what he taught? To go out so that we might invite others in. In our devotional reading this week, if you stick with it and you read this passage and you hear N.T. Wright comment on what we're talking about, you'll see a quote in our Advent for Everyone book that says this. You see, party guests are then invited to become party hosts in their turn. What would it look like if we got the when right and let his challenging words sink in with us as well and examine the ways that we in our own privilege and in our own status need to repent of those self-serving ways? What would it look like for us to say, why should we even do this? And perhaps take Jesus' words to heart and say, maybe we'll find blessing and formation and the gap closing. And what if we say, who is it that you're sending us to? Who might we need to invite? You see, when we ask these kinds of questions, it leads to crazy things like the neighborhood table at the neighborhood church. Now, I'm not saying we're perfect and we got it right, but I'm saying there was something vibrant and celebratory, a party atmosphere when we launched last year to invite all people to come and share a meal. Because we were just crazy enough to believe that our community might be transformed if we sat down and broke bread together by expanding our circles to turn neighbors into family. Not because we would get anything out of it, because we sit down and eat as well. And then we might invite them to stick around, if they so desire, to hear a story about Jesus and to see how it might work and penetrate their own hearts too. And perhaps if we were to do this regularly, we would begin to build relationships that crossed boundaries and borders, and those lines that divided us just might begin to erase. We saw people give their lives to Jesus at that table, not because we forced them, but because we set the table and let God do his work. Because there's still room. Would we open our hands and our hearts and our minds enough to dare to believe that even though for this time period, we can't have that meal safely, but what would the meals look like for you and me? What would it look like this Christmas to open our arms, our hearts even more so that God might work in us and through us? There's always more room to go out and invite in. Would we be a people working and living what Jesus taught. Would you pray with me before we sing and receive our benediction? Just take a quick breath, take a quick pause, and just sit in this moment. Think about those things that are stirring in your own head and your own heart, those things that even seem too crazy. Would you hold them in the presence of God? Would you turn them over, sifting and looking at them and listening? God, would you awaken our minds, our hearts, our imagines, 
imaginations? Would you expand our horizons and our circles? And then just take another breath, becoming present to God's presence. And as this year draws to a close and as Christmas is looming, would you just put yourself back into that space of wonder? Perhaps draw on those images in your memory banks of when you were a child holding a candle at a Christmas Eve service, considering the child in a manger. And would you ask God to give you a sense of joy and wonder again this week when it doesn't even make sense after all we've lived through? God, would you give us a heart capable of celebrating, capable of celebrating, capable of joy, even in the midst of so much darkness and death. Not that we turned a blind eye to it. In fact, the opposite. We need to stare it right in the face and we need to say this poverty, this brokenness, this hurt, this loneliness, this anxiety, this pain, this death, we look it straight in the eye and we choose to believe that it has an expiration date, that there is a celebration on the horizon, that there is light still shining in the darkness, that there is good news and invitations worth needing to be given, that we would be a people transformed by the love of God expanded in our hearts and our minds to the point where we are so filled with you that we cannot help but go wherever you would send us to bring good news that the table is ready to all who would come. May they come. In Jesus' name, amen.